Welcome to Go Behind the Ballot, a podcast where two Texas moms go on an educational quest to demystify Texas politics. Join me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, as we deep dive into the most burning issues, hear stories from candidates, and offer hope in these challenging political times. Let's saddle up and go behind the ballot. Hey, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Go Behind the Ballot. I'm Claire Campos O'Neill. And I am Nicole Abshire. And you are tuning in to one of our mini episodes. These are the episodes where Nicole and I chat about the bigger topic at hand. Right now, our big thing that we're digging deep into and demystifying is hunger in Texas. And for this conversation, we're going to talk about this documentary called Hunger in America, which CBS put out in 1968. So what, it's about 55 years old, a little bit older. Um, The host was Charles Kuralt. And we have referenced this documentary a bunch in this series because it seems like such a pivotal piece of what helped create new policy in America to address hunger. And it is quite the documentary, folks. Uh, Maybe watch it. Trigger warning. It's it's intense. I'm torn. I'm really torn. (laughs) It feels like essential viewing. And it is also incredibly brutal. So it, you know, I guess it it's a decision everybody will need to make with a lot of consideration. Be forewarned that it does not hold back. And within the first few minutes, you will experience exactly why we are giving these trigger warnings. Um, yeah, it's, it's a super tough watch. And I had to keep reminding myself that um, I... It is important. It is important to stand witness, right? To bear witness and to not turn away from the things that are difficult. You know, it's a privilege to be able to turn my head away. So yeah. I, I kept my eyes on it. Yeah, that reminds me, Nicole. I think it was Dr. Lori Green that told us when this documentary came out and some of the other pieces of media that highlighted hunger, poor folks weren't surprised. They were like, yeah, this is what it's like. But it was you know, like middle-class Americans that were shocked to bear witness to this. And it is because of privilege. Like they don't experience this. I'm assuming the people in their lives are at this level of poverty. So it was eye-opening for them and uh, really challenged their perception of, you know, what it means to be an American and live in America because you have this certain perception that America is a land of wealth and plenty. And we are still taught that today, but this really breaks that perception. Uh, but before we go forward, ah, doing it again, quick announcements. <laughs> I think I better put in the announcements on the very beginning. But if you like this show, please leave us a review or a rating, uh, share with a friend, and you can also... Throw us a couple tips on uh, the podcast notes. We have places you can do that. And we also have a Patreon if you want to get some bonus content. And anything else, Nicole? No, I think that's great. Yeah. Okay. If you want to be a regular supporter, that would be so much appreciated. Yes. One of these days, we'll put these on the very top. But <laughs> I just want to get right in because, you know, love sharing what we learn. <laughs> Can't help no, myself. I, I think that's okay. But yeah, <laughs> it is a habit we have to build. It also, you know, what we could consider to do is a mid a mid episode break. Yes. 
We're learning this. Any if there's any podcasters listening, tell us how to how to structure this correctly. How do you like it. <laughs> One of my favorites. That's what he does. One of my favorite podcasters. It's always the middle. You sort of know you've reached the middle of the show when he breaks in. Uh, it's also funny he does these pauses and he always plays a little instrument <laughs> for his pause. And then when he comes back from that pause, he shares the ways that you can support him. Nice. Yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there. All right. Pivoting back to hunger in America. So in this documentary, um, from the start, it's brutal. <laughs> like, I think the, the opening scene is at a hospital. And we're going to share with y'all what you will find in the documentary. So if you hear this and you're like, yeah, I want to go see it for myself, maybe then you go see it. Uh, but the film opens at a hospital where there's a small, small baby, maybe a couple months old, that is starving, literally starving. And I don't know if the baby like literally dies on screen or if it's inferred that the baby passes away soon after that was recorded. But uh, Charlie um, Keralt says in the intro, this is an American baby who's, you know, starving from hunger. And this this American baby is now dead. And you're just like, oh, my gosh, like this is what we're getting into. Buckle in, folks. This is going to be pretty bleak. So that's how they open. And they... I'm assuming we're very intentional about showing this to let people know this is happening across America. And I'll also say that this documentary highlights four places in the U.S. So it does so so it does let you know this isn't just in one part of the country. It is nationwide. This um, epidemic of hunger of people who are facing extreme hunger and malnutrition and starvation, and particularly how this is affecting like young children, babies. Uh, children, mothers. So, um, so they start out also offering some statistics, uh, and again showing this juxtaposition of how America at the time in 1968 was spending 1.5 billion dollars to feed the rest of the world. But they're like, but what about here? You know, um, and it's interesting. It's like, is this a case for like, I don't know if I would say isolation, isolationism, but um. This idea that maybe we should make sure we're good and then look outside before we do it the other way around because there's plenty of um, suffering in America that, that that we should be using our, our tax dollars to address first, I think is the case that they're making in this documentary. Um, so the first city that they go to is San Antonio. And man, this film loves to just contrast like riches and poverty, which I think is a good piece of media for us to highlight. We even highlighted this in our panel because our panel for South by Southwest was titled Hunger Games. And Hunger Games is all about the haves and the have-nots, the people in the capital, the people in the districts who are starving to the point where they are um, in the Hunger Games. You can get more food for yourself and your family if your kid enters their name more into the Hunger Games lottery system. So very people in very disparate situations. Um, but it starts in San Antonio and they show um, some footage from the Hemisphere 68, which I'm assuming is like the World's Fair. Is that what you thought, Nicole? Yeah, that was my impression. Okay, yeah. Like they had like a sky ride and a monorail and I, I think it was like the Tower of America's building. So showing like, oh, innovation and look at us moving into the future. And then uh, the documentary is like, but down the road are these areas of town where people 
don't know where their next meal's coming from. And um, it's really interesting already seeing that this documentary is going to go there. They're going to be like, look at the rich and look at the poor. Why is there such a big disparity here in this in this nation? Um, and some of the families that they talk about in San Antonio, well, they really hone in on this one um, Catholic priest, father, Father Raul Ruiz, and he talks about you know how he serves um, his community. Uh, Sorry, got a little. My brain got my brain jumped somewhere. How he is um, ministering to those who are extremely hungry and they don't know where the next meal is coming from. And he says, you know, yes, these and it's primarily Hispanic um, population. But he's like, they eat tortillas and beans every day. I like tortillas and beans, but you need more than that. You need milk. You need meat. You need protein. You need a well-balanced diet. And there's so much malnutrition here because that's all these people have. Um, He talked about education is a luxury and that you can't really focus in school when your stomach is hungry, which is interesting because we come back to this education component too in this documentary. Um, And another really sad part of the documentary is I talked to this young teenage boy um, and when they, and when the, it's interesting in this documentary, when the filmmakers are going into the homes, uh, they are literally going into these people's houses, having conversations with them in their bedrooms and their kitchens. It's very intimate the way that they construct it. So there is a reporter talking to this young teenage boy and he was like, so what do you do at school? Like, do you eat the school lunch? And he's like, no. He's like, well, why not? He's like, well, it's 35 cents. And he's like, so you don't have the money? He's like, no. He's like, what do you do? He's like, well, I just sit there. Like, I, I don't have money for the food. And the reporter's like, do you eat breakfast? And he was like, yeah, I, I eat beans. And he's like, so you have to wait till you get home to eat food again. He's like, yeah. And you're just like, this poor kid, this, I mean, he's, we're talking about kids in school that are like growing and developing and they can't feed themselves because at school, the food costs money. Um, and you just see the sadness in his eyes. And to me, that part was really touching and, and all, there's a lot of difficult parts, but for, I don't know, but for me, that part was like pretty soul crushing. I don't know. Do you remember that part, Nicole? I do. Well, and there's kind of a mirror too later, right? Another kid that they talked to. And so, yes, thinking about those particular boys sharing their experience, because I think too, like, obviously the really, the babies and the toddlers, I mean, it, I mean, it's excruciating to watch, but of course they can't speak for themselves. So it's really, it just kind of makes it that much more emotionally touching and moving when you hear teenagers speak for themselves, because then you see the effect, right? They're carrying Uh so much shame and they're, they're just already so beaten down and sad at such a young age. And of course we as adults are watching it thinking it's not their fault, there's no reason that they should bear that kind of shame and sadness for something that's out of their control. And you yeah, also yeah. think about all the potential that's being lost. I mean, the whole thing is just very, very heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something that comes shortly after when they talk to this young teenage boy is making the audience aware of the surplus food commodities, which we've talked about a few times on the show. Um, but basically they said San Antonio's answer to hunger is surplus commodities. And this is where 
food that farmers cannot sell is bought back by the government and then the government distributes it to people who need food. And I think initially this program wasn't really about, well, it wasn't, it wasn't about feeding folks who needed food. It was about helping farmers be made whole, essentially. Yeah. It was about Um, keeping the market balanced. So not oversaturating it with supply, but pulling back some of the supply so that prices could be like at a, at a rate that was helpful for farmers. But then sort of like the bonus, you know, kind of good thing about that was that then you could feed the poor. But yes, it wasn't with poor people in mind and their nutritional needs or any of their needs, really. It was really about protecting farmers and the market for food. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't know if this was the intention or this is what they told themselves, but but they said that this was meant to be a supplement to folks' diets. But for a lot of people, this was their diet. This was the food that they ate. And in the, I think it's later in the documentary, they talk about how it, it was a white diet, how it was like lard, flour, sugar. It, it was not nutritious foods, very starchy. And the problem is that it was that. It was not balanced. So even though you had folks who were eating, uh, they were malnourished. They had terrible health outcomes, which led to other negative things like people aging prematurely. Um, it really affected women who were pregnant. I mean, this is getting later in the documentary, but this exclusive diet had so many additional unintended consequences because, again, it wasn't about healthy foods. It was about dumping excess. <sighs> so, yeah, already this documentary teaches you a lot. Um, there's a line in the documentary that says the poor are alive because they eat. They are mal- malnourished because of what they eat. Surplus commodities was because of that. Um And then to wrap out, well, there's a lot that happens in San Antonio, but they talked to the social worker, Mary Garcia, who works with the children. This is another really sad part. And there's a little girl off to the side who has her head down and the reporter's like, what's wrong with this girl? And she was like, she's, she's feeling a lot of shame right now because she is a prostitute. And he's like, the reporter's like, why is she a prostitute? And he's like, because she needs food to eat. And he was like, well, do you see a lot of this in your community? She was like, yes, but we normally don't see it this young. This girl was 11 years old. So she is in such a precarious, horrible place that this is how she's getting money to purchase food so that she can stay alive. So, I mean, yeah, if you're an American who's like not seeing this in your everyday life and you see it here, you're going to be like, are you serious? Yes, they are bare." They're telling you this is their experience and this is what's happening. And then we get a fun juxtaposition with the county commissioner in San Antonio, A.J. Pohl. And the interviewer is asking her, asking him, sorry, how do we deal with hunger? And his answer is that the reason these people are hungry is because their daddies won't work, that they aren't they're no good he uses some words that are just really offensive yeah yeah that 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 it's all about work it's about it's about lazy specifically these dads yeah being lazy not contributing to their families and that is why these families are going hungry um but then the interview pushes back the interviewer pushes back and says but what about the children 
And he was like, well, I don't know about the children. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, if you don't know, you don't have a solution, probably shouldn't be in office. Um, he's like, but what, and the reporter's like, well, what about education? You know, we're talking to these children who go to school and they're hungry because they don't have food, you know, basically saying, why are we not helping them? Like, again, it's, it's not, it's not their fault that this is what, what it is. And he was like, well, he's like, well, and what about education? Like, do we really need to educate kids? <laughs> Which is, I mean, this documentary is mind blowing because it's like, we're told education is the great equalizer. You know, that's the promise of America. You can educate yourself and improve your station in life and hopefully your future generations. But he's saying, so what education, you know, you kind of well, got that. He, shall we even bring up the part where he's like, we're essentially, this is what he said, we're a society that's designed to have Indians and chiefs. Right. And so these folks are meant to be the Indians and yeah. he's supposed to be a chief. So it doesn't really matter yeah. whether Almost, they're educated. Yep. Like know your place. Uh, it, it's, it's the, this is the hierarchy we were born into. What are you going to do about it? And in a way it's like, okay, well you thank you for being honest with us and, and not sugarcoating your stance. Um, but, but he in the end says that we're always going to have the hungry with us. So very bleak, very sad that this is a man who was, who, who had been in power for like met 10 plus years. He'd been a County commissioner and we still have people like this in our government who just think that is the way the world is and are not solutions oriented Makes me really sad. That's kind of off script, but um, but we still see this attitude. Maybe different words, but it is still very much alive and well in Texas politics and national politics. Um, yeah. And then from there, <laughs> they go to a charity hospital. Oh my goodness! And and they talk to a head nurse, and she was like, "Yeah, everyone who comes here is malnourished because there was only one charity hospital in San Antonio, so they're seeing tons of patients." They see many, many babies who come in and the babies get better. But when they go home, they tend to regress because the families just don't have what they need to maintain a healthy diet for their children. And it's just this sad cycle of getting in and out of the hospital. Um, oh, man, it was really sad. And, they, and then they show you these babies and these babies, they have like saggy skin. They have diarrhea. They... I think maybe this is later in the documentary, but the babies cry so much and then they stop crying. Like they kind of give up because I don't know if maybe they don't have the energy left. I mean, it's, it's just like sad. And especially I can't help but think about these people who are like the babies, you know, we got to protect the children. And yet you see here that this was happening where babies were dying because they weren't getting the food they needed. And as a documentary says, we have so much, but let's look what's happening in our own home, so to speak. Um, so that is San Antonio. <laughs> Bleak. 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 Ah! Okay, folks. And then next, I'll try to make this a little bit faster. Um, the Well, document- I will say, listening to you, I recognized the pattern of each place they visit, right? Uh, we start in a home. And it is very intimate, and we really get a picture of what it's like on a day-to-day basis, you know, to some degree. And it's usually hosted by some sort of medical – well, I guess in San Antonio it wasn't. It was a religious leader. But after that, it does feel like doctors kind of lead the way. So we're in an intimate home. Then we seem to move to some sort of hospital-type setting. 
we always hit what the social programs are available or not available. So there is a pattern in these. So now I mm-hmm. do think we'll probably pick up steam. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a pattern. Okay, and then the next place they go to is Loudoun County, Virginia. They said this is about 25 miles outside of D.C. And because of that, you get a lot of like rich power players in this area. They said it's the headquarters for the horsey set, which I guess that means like polo players, people that like like equestrian types. (laughs) If you have horses, you have money because those are expensive animals to take care of. Um, So they're like the trappings of wealth are everywhere. Um, And, and yet there are many, many thousands of tenant farmers who live in this County that are starving, (laughs) you know, showing this juxtaposition of incredible wealth and yet people who are barely hanging on. Um, They said that in these, in this part of the country that the 10, the families tend to be large, that the kids don't get enough food or the right kinds of foods, that it's a lot of potatoes, little protein. They describe the children that they see, that the doctors see, and that they have hollow, lifeless looks, stringy hair and pasty complexions. And they also talk about how this malnutrition affects brain development and brain health and how you can't really get that back. So you have to, you have to like be properly nourished much earlier in life to give yourself a better shot at a healthy life down the road. Um, oh man. Yeah. This was also a sad one. Um, they really spent a lot of time with Dr. Granger in this part of the documentary and how this doctor works with a lot of nurses and you see a nurse go into a home interviewing a mom who has a lot of kids, like five or more kids. I couldn't really count because there was just a lot of little kids everywhere. Um, and the nurse is interviewing her like, so tell me what, what are the kids, what the kids have for breakfast? And she was like gravy. And she was like, gravy. She's like, I got gravy. Like, what do you want me to do? She's like, okay, what are you going to make for supper? And she was like, well, I don't know yet. (laughs) So you can just tell this, this woman being interviewed is like, what do you want me to say? Like, I have all these children. I'm doing what I can. Like you could tell that she was, she was just like, this is my life. And they said in this part of the, of the country that surplus food is not available. So you might remember from our conversation with Dr. Lori Green that surplus commodities were only, I think, available if the county opted into it. And I think they said that one third of counties in the U.S. did not provide surplus commodities. So if you don't have food, you really don't have food, like even from the government, at least in this point in time in 1968. Um, They also talked to this couple. It was a husband and a wife, and they had a few children. I don't remember if we saw them on screen. Um, And they said a challenge with this part of the country is pride, how these folks almost echo what A.J. Polk was saying that you have to accept that you're poor and we need to learn to accept our station. And if I can't provide for my family, that's on me. That's what this poor tenant farmer was saying. So very much just (laughs) accepting that he's an Indian basically. Um, And it's really sad because him and his family are suffering. Can we jump in? I want to be, I don't want that to stand on its own and people to misunderstand what you're saying. Yes. Like in the AJ Plow version of, Indians and chiefs, meaning that there is a hierarchy that should be there, right? That um, some people are sort of 
destined in a way to starve and be guided by slash ruled by um, chiefs, right? And we're saying this in the way that he said it, not, not yeah. of course, what we actually believe. Yes, thank you. Yeah, using AJ Pohl's terminology. Um, but this poor tenant farmer was basically saying that he subscribes to the ideology and he has accepted his station. And that's where he is. And if and it's almost saying like, and it's my fault, you know, if I can't do what I need to do to to take care of my family. Very paternalistic worldview too. Because that's like, what if there isn't a man in the family to do these things? Like they're just sort of assuming there's a husband, there's a wife, you know, like this, this that's a family there's structure. There's a lot about that that I was questioning, right? Because it also doesn't take into account. We've had lots of conversations about wages. Right. And how wages are so depressed. And I'm sure that they were then and specifically in his situation. And so it's interesting that he doesn't seem to have, from what we saw, any particular um, desire, I guess, to hold anyone accountable for his low wages. Like, I bet he is an incredibly hardworking man. And so I guess in my mind, that would be an expectation that for my hard work, I ought to be able to earn enough to feed my family. But he Mm -hmm. didn't seem to, that didn't seem to be a factor in what he was talking about. Right. Just different points of view, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just sad. It's, yeah, it's sad that uh, he... Because he is so attached to that ideology, he it seems like he's going to be stuck in that cycle. And I'm sure his children, if they think similarly, likewise will be. And who does it benefit? Not him and his family. It benefits those in power. Whew. So then um, there's also a few scenes where Dr. Granger is talking about, and I talked about this a little bit before San Antonio, but just how folks who are malnourished just look so much older than they really are. There was a 39-year-old woman that they showed, and y'all, she looked like she was 70. And I'm like, 37 over here. I'm like, oh my gosh, can't imagine like already being at just like at that part of your life where you're like, well, this is close to the end. And that's what happens because of just the stress and the malnourishment that they're going through and their hard situation in life. And uh, that you see the doctor examining a, one of her children, and the children, the child has very filthy feet you know, rotten teeth. And this kid's probably like three, four, um, like flies on their faces. I mean, it's just really sad. And you are like, whoa, this is in America. This is in the horsey land. Like, are you kidding me? But yeah, that's what happens. So that is Ludden County. Where do we go next, Nicole? <laughs> Gosh, I know, right? This is not our sunniest, everybody. Um, and yet we're making the case that it is important to watch it. Um, so if it's not clear, I, and it is, but I'm, you know, you know me, I like to restate things. The uh, one interesting thing about the way that they separated these four places that they went to is is clearly they were making some racial um, distinctions, I guess. You know, we started in San Antonio in a mostly Hispanic community the next community was a white community. We now move to a Native American community in Arizona. It was a Navajo reservation. And this time we have Dr. Van Dusen, who is um, a female doctor, who takes us through 
this uh, reservation. And once again, we spend time in a home and surplus commodities come up again because, again, it's showing how these families rely on surplus commodities to be the bulk of what they eat. Yet again, they were never really meant to be. But when you don't have money, that's what happens. And so in this case, she actually pointed out that surplus commodities actually only supply 40% of the caloric needs of a person. Um, And so, yeah, that's why, of course, people are so malnourished. They mostly eat fry bread, drink coffee. They get a lot of flour, lard, sugar, coffee. And, And in this one, too, when we wind up at the hospital, once again, it's these really horribly, deeply sad pictures of of babies and and you see a toddler and they are suffering with this uh, disease condition, maybe is the right word, called kwashiorkor, which is, it's a malnutrition that's not supposed to exist in the U.S., they point out. We are used to seeing that in foreign countries, right? It's the bloated bellies, the you know, really skinny limbs and the kind of, you know, dull-faced um children, but we see it here in this hospital. And then she also tells us about marasmus, which is this complete total caloric and nutritional loss. Um, Usually happens to babies. It's often when they've only had water. I mean, they have no more fat left in their bodies. And yes, they are no longer crying. They've sort of given up. And so we see one of those children. Um, Yes, yeah, so that is the time that we spend in on the Navajo Reservation in Arizona. Um, we move from there, so now we've talked about Native Americans, and we move to Alabama. So now we move to a Black community, and it is you know we start off by showing a cotton farm, and they talk about mechanization and what that's done, how it's really affected course, what used to be the major employer in Alabama for black families, which was they would pick cotton and the work that could be done or was done by a hundred pickers can now be done by three because the rest is done by machines. And so obviously that has incredibly depressed the whole community. And so what they do a really good job of in this one is demonstrating how food stamps work slash don't work in communities like this because they really get into the nitty gritty. And so this one, this section of the documentary is us following Dr. Raymond Wheeler, who goes into the community. He's a a white physician. And so we wind up at the food stamps office and you're seeing exactly how it works. This was the thing, honestly, for me, Claire, that where I really then had that pragmatic understanding of how food stamps worked that, oh, you pay, for instance, $20, but you're given sets of food stamps. And so what may have cost you $1 then at the store is worth $2. So you can, you know, you've increased the value of what you originally um, paid for those food stamps. And then some are worth $3 for every $1. It just sort of depends on what you qualify for and what you've been able to purchase. Yeah, I think too at this point in time, food stamps was pretty new. This was 1968. Like, I think it was introduced in 1960, well, 60s. Yeah, I mean, it's weird when you look at the history of it, right? Because there was an initial food stamps in the 40s, but that didn't last very long. But yes, this is like the food stamps we think of. Yes, we're in the 60s. Yeah, 
it's cool. You get to see the little books and you're like, wow, that's like Monopoly money yeah, that like, they buy. Oh, that's what it really looked like when it was actual stamps. Yeah. You get to, yeah, you see the evolution now, right, to the the cards. But that's one thing I, I respect so much about this documentary. As difficult as it is to watch, boy, they really lay out all of the different pressures, how the programs that we have work. They're really honest about how they fall short, why they fall short. It was It was all really well done, I think, and very on the ground. So I really did appreciate that. Um, so, but, you know, and also what we keep emphasizing is that if you can't afford to purchase food stamps, then you're, there wasn't an option for you at that time. I mean, you literally starve. So once yeah. again, we see children um, who are, you know, desperately starving. Um, yeah. Yeah. The documentary, just real quick, Nicole, it does show a lot of those gaps, like surplus commodities is a program that does feed people so they're not starving, but it doesn't happen everywhere and it's not a complete diet. And let's be real, this is like what these people are eating exclusively. It's not a supplement to their diets. And okay, we have food stamps over here. Well, this is why food stamps are not the true solution because you have to pay for them. And if you don't even have that dollar to go buy that coupon book, well, then what are you going to do? So yeah, they do such a good job poking holes in the system that's in place, which is probably why it helped push towards better policy changes to what we have now where SNAP, which I think kind of came out of food stamps, right? Um Celia Cole was telling us is an entitlement program, meaning that it grows with the need. It's not like a set pot of money. And when it's gone, it's gone. Sorry, folks. Like you didn't get in line first. Like it is there for anyone who qualifies and needs it. So so it really helped put a lot of the pieces together looking backwards. Yes. Sorry, Nicole. Keep going. No, no. I think that's so great to point out. And, and the other – knowing the history of this, right, really does – it helps to shine a light on why we are where we are right now and how, yeah, how these things got started. Um, so no, I think that was so great. Um, the other, one of the women that we spoke to in the beginning was a mom named Mrs. Anders and she's pregnant. When we meet her, when Dr. Wheeler is talking to her and then they tell us that it's within the filming she did give birth and her baby died two days later. Mm-hmm. I mean, so once again, they're really going right at the problem. Yeah. And, really... and this wasn't her first loss, right? Like she had had other losses from what I remember. I don't remember. I, I have to admit that I I know that there was the woman in the Native American portion who I think had lost, well, several, maybe I won't name the number, but had lost several babies. So I'm not even sure, honestly at this point, who I'm mixing up with who, because it's all so tragic. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I guess the thing I'll point out is that they do say because of what these women are eating, that when they do get pregnant, it is hard for them to uh, finish their pregnancy because of their diet and their, their doctors say you need these things. And they're like, okay, but like, I can't get those things. So pregnancy is hard on them too. And, uh, and then they, and then when they do have their children, it's hard for their children to stay alive because of um, the foods that are or aren't available to them. Yeah. <sighs> well, and then, you know, what we referenced to earlier, they do speak to a 14-year-old kid named Charles. 
And, you know, he really hits that point of how ashamed he feels because he doesn't have any money. And so he isn't able to buy a lunch. And it's very obvious amongst his peers that he can't afford to eat. And he feels ashamed of that, which is just so heartbreaking. Um, And then also there's a woman who speaks at the end and she talks about, and this was really interesting to me. She talks about how they, she's saying as black folks, were treated better in slavery because, in her opinion, it, it what they are experiencing now is so much deprivation because black people have some measure of power. They're mm-hmm. able to vote and go to school and that the white ruling class where they live doesn't like that. And so they treat them worse than they did in slavery, actually. Wow. And so that was yeah. a real oof, tough moment. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, boy. Oh, wow. That's, I, yeah. Well, and then it closes with our friend Charles Corral. <laughs> I feel like he was changed after that. I yeah. honestly would love to look up and see if he's ever spoken about that experience because at the end, I feel like he's like, okay, wait, let me take my gloves off here. <laughs> I wrote down in my notes, I'm like, Charles Corral goes hard. Like he really... He just said what he thought, and he was not pleased with what he was seeing Mm -hmm. around America. And I wrote this quote that he said, and he said that the most basic human needs must become a right. And I was like, ooh, speak it, Charles. Speak (laughs) it, Mr. Keralt. Yeah. I don't – it was interesting. I'm Okay, I'll be honest. I don't watch a ton of, like, straight-up news now. I watch, like, clips, like I'm sure most people do. Um, but I feel like this kind of a program, I would we would just like never see it now. Like you're right, it is so to the point. It is so like blunt about these are the problems and these are the answers. It doesn't, you know, um, like say like oh well, there's two. S-. I mean, it does ask for both sides of the story. And when you see both sides, you're like, hmm, this other side. Don't really think that's a a great path to go down because that's where we are now and people are dying and starving. So I really appreciate the way he looks at all this information and he comes to this conclusion and he's like, and this is a conclusion we should all come to. And I'm like, yes, like you're saying, Nicole. Yeah, go, Charles. Was, go Charles. Charlie. <laughs> My new best friend. <laughs> um, and I just realized too, as we were saying that, how I, sometimes I get defeatist and I think, oh, but we could never have something like this again, right? We don't just have three networks where everybody's sort of glued to their TVs, you know, on a Sunday night. So you can sort of count on most people in the nation watching the same thing, being affected in the same way. Oh, man. And I sort of think, oh, well, what what can we do? But then I realize that is the total wrong way to look at this. And instead, I need to switch my mind to being so much more um, adaptable and adaptive and realizing... No, 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 no. There are still other ways. Obviously, the media is more democratized. We have more access to making statements and putting out our own thoughts so much more easily and with the ability to reach more people. And so I think I need to have a mindset shift in terms of thinking that, no, we can capture people's interests. We can capture their their hearts and their minds, and we can make major change. We just have to be willing to shift 
how that happens and what that looks like. Like Mm -hmm. if we do need shorter clips that are much more like in your face with what it's like now that can go viral on social media, then that's what we need to do. Right. I need to, I need to switch how I think about this kind of stuff and the possible solutions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is exciting in a way to see like the power of media at play and how it really did feed into the movement for political change. I love that because I think for us in the podcast, it's like, how do we recapture the power that is available to change things for the better? And it's like, there's not one particular path. And a lot of times it's a lot of different paths sort of like aligning and lightning striking, you know, the moment is seized upon. And this was a big part of what the programs we see now, like the SNAP program. And I think the free or the the lunch programs that we see in schools for free or reduced lunch enrollment. Um, and it's like, okay, yeah, there's a way to tell a really compelling story, move people towards fairness and justice and like the promise of America. And you just can't let up. You got to, you got to keep telling the story over and over and over because not nothing and I don't say nothing's been solved but it hunger has not been eliminated we've learned this like we are learning this and uh there's other injustices that need to be addressed but um it's it's like Dr. Lori Green said you know we tend to slip towards retrogression and, and it's that work of activism continual activism that is that counter to the retro the backsliding that ha- that happens I don't know why it happens, but it happens. Well, yeah, I guess. And we don't, yeah, I sometimes can get caught up in the why, you know, like I think, but I have to understand why. And I think I'm also trying to make another mindset shift, which is I don't have to know why. I just have to know that that's not what I want. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so therefore, what can I do to be a counterforce to that kind of retrogression? Because not acceptable. No. Not acceptable. No. Yeah, yeah. Well, we will include the link to this documentary if you would like to view it for yourself. Um, it's, it's Which I so, do recommend. I mean, yeah. it is, you do have to emotionally and mentally prepare. But I do think it's important. I think it's important because I know for me it is too easy to turn away because it is excruciating. It's hard. But you know what? Some people live lives that are excruciatingly hard (laughs) and why, why do I get to turn my head away just because it's uncomfortable? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yes. So we will also protect yourself. Like I, I don't mean that to say I'm not like pointing (laughs) fingers and saying everybody should watch it. No, you, I think everybody knows themselves and knows what they can handle. Yes. You can watch it in pieces. Yeah. Like last night I was like, Nicole, how about I do the first two cities and you the second two? Cause as I was (laughs) rewatching it, I was like, I could feel the heaviness all over again. So, yeah. and when I originally watched it, I think I watched it over three different sittings. Yeah, yeah. you can do four for each little city. Good. You <laughs> really you could. That's the trick. Yes. Uh, okay, everybody. Well, thank you again for listening to this show, and we will have all of our wonderful resources in the podcast notes, and also sign up for our newsletter because you get some great information there. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, everybody, for joining me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, on Go Behind the Ballot. Hopefully, we've demystified some little portion of Texas politics, and we hope that you'll do more with us. 
check out our website at www.gobehindtheballot.com where you'll find links to all of our social media and you will find our community. Let's join together and do more. We hope you'll let us know what is working and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks everybody and have a good one.